0: Hello there! You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. As always, and ever shall be, your gracious and your grateful host. How's everybody doing out there? Today in podcast land, I'm doing great. I really appreciate you asking. I had a great day today. My God that I have a great day today. So before I get into this uh, guest, Mr. Eric Morse, which was a hoot, Something really great happened today. I just kind of got kind of got to get this out. Um, there's this friend of mine uh, who I've met, uh, and she's a Sikh, and I know nothing about the Sikh world. And all I've known is for the last two lunches we've had, she's taken me out to Indian food, and there's great places that, uh, and it's so much fun too because you get to walk up in these Indian restaurants, and she's like, "He'll have that, 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 that." She's like, "Just trust me." It seems to work. So today she said, you know, let's go to this place and it's called Sikh Gurdawa. And I said, okay, that sounds like a restaurant to me. I will go. We'll have lunch. Nope. I walked up and it's this absolutely beautiful, beautiful temple, a Sikh temple. And my goodness. So I walk in and she says, the food is a vegetarian meal that is provided, the, the ingredients are provided by the community and all you got to do is pay a buck and you get a fantastic vegetarian meal. And I said, I am obviously in. Before that, she said, I want to go inside the main temple where they're having a service right now. And I kind of want to show you what this is all about. All right, you should take your shoes off, done. Please wear this headscarf. Everyone has to have their head covered. Fine, no big deal. I go in and my goodness, it was a, beautiful room, beautiful room, just a flat, very austere area where people sat down, and they were listening to these three gentlemen who were singing Hindi, music, Hindi songs, and there was two harmoniums, which is essentially an accordion, and then tablas, which is a hand drum that I'm sure at least any of you who are listening to this will probably knows it sounds kind of like this, like, it's unbelievable to watch. And the music, the melody was so, it was wandering, like a lot of how those Eastern melodies can just kind of wander and come to these kind of off the root note. And there's really no, there's certainly no 4-4 blues backbeat going on there. And it was so transcendent that I actually started to tear up a little bit. And I was like present. I have had a lot going on, a lot of wonderful things, a lot of really challenging things to say the least. And for some reason, just hearing this man's voice and hearing the topless and hearing the harmonium and being in the cathedral of this of this temple, essentially, the cathedral of the temple. <laughs> and it was just absolutely magical. I was transported, I uh all these emotions just start flying in that I'm kind of repressing. Um and it was unbelievable. But the food, oh my God. So you walk in and share enough, you give a buck. And it's cafeteria style, fantastic, absolutely lovely. And everyone sits on the floor, and there's so much respect in the halls and the rooms. So that's kind of it. That's kind of my experience today. I just had to share and get it out. Sometimes I feel like if I don't talk about these experiences, they don't exist anymore. I want to try and capture them, at least perhaps on a, you know, podcast. So that's kind of my way in, actually, to his next guest, Mr. Eric Morse, because Eric's been an old friend of mine. I love this guy to death. He and I used to work over at Warner Brothers Records way back in the day, 1944, <laughs> about 10 years ago. And uh, he was in marketing at some place, and I was in marketing at same place. And But this guy is, has such unbelievable depth. He has this fantastic series of books that he put out for kids. One was called What is Hip Hop? And the other is called What is Punk? And it's written to a child, but it's got claymation images throughout the entire uh, book of Biggie Smalls, of the Ramones, of the Clash, of Tupac. So we really got into that. We got into the entire idea of the processing of creativity and art and all all the big shit that I like to get into as well. But um, we talked about Fugazi a lot, too, if anybody knows who that band is. (laughs) Like, punk band from the, uh, shit, I don't even know, 90s, maybe? God, they were great. At any rate, that's kind of all I got. Um, go to a Sikh temple. Go look up a Sikh world. I had absolutely no idea. It's fascinating. They only believe in one God. As the traditional uh, Hindis, I believe it is, there are multiple gods. There's Kali, and there's this, and there's that. One God. I think that's interesting, too, as well. That's all I got. Hope you're doing well. Hope you enjoy this as much as I did making it, because, f- God damn it, I love this guy, Eric Bor so much. It's great to hear from him. Hope you're all doing uh, well. Take care. Bye. And hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inspired Minds podcast. The lovely and talented Mr. Eric Morris. Eric Morris, say hello to the dazzled throng. Hello, friends. What a wonderful, wonderful guy. So Eric and I have known each other for quite some time. Um, He worked uh, with Warner Brothers Records at at, um, Warner Music Group. And I'll get into all that later. But the first question that I always ask every guest on the show is Eric Morse. What was the first thing that inspired you when you were a kid? A song, a book, a movie, a poem. Go.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I've been thinking about this um, because I am a listener to the show and um, I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I'm I'm also a dad. I've got four kids. And so, uh, like, it's observing them and, and sort of growing up with them. Um, I've noticed the different types of inspiration along the way. And so, um, and the way kids are inspired. And so I feel like I, I'm not giving it a fair answer to say the first, but, but my earliest memory of something really kind of like, holy shit, what is this? Um, was my brother brought home um princes nineteen ninety nine and he he was playing it on his turntable um, and uh you know for it it's so interesting the way it kind of different things inspire or affect different people for him, like he loved it because it was the hot pop record of the moment, you know, and for me, I was just like wait a second, this guy's amazing. I immediately, you know, had to know everything about Prince and listened to the whole record over and over again and basically kind of like adopted that record from him. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the first, that, at least again, you know, that I can recollect. That was the first time that I really felt like music is super powerful. It can change my mood. It can change my, my outlook. It can change my perspective. It can, you know, make me happy when I'm sad. And um, so the earliest moment that I remember feeling really, truly inspired by, you know, something external was, was Prince.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, you know, all roads lead to Rome kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I will tell you a quick story that you don't know um about me and that or I don't think you know, and that is and it's a long story how I got to this point, but I ended up uh playing uh keyboards for this band um at the Wheel Turn and uh it was like a one-off thing. And like for some giant event, the place was packed, and we're all backstage, and um one of the uh women was dating Katie Lang and the other was dating Ellen DeGeneres. So wow. We're all in this tiny little room. Um, Ellen DeGeneres was just annoying uh, and, and like jumping yeah. on a couch, which I thought was interesting, given the Tom Cruise thing later. Um, yeah. But Katie, all of a sudden, oh, and Wendy Malvoine from the from the Revolution was there too uh-huh. in this tiny little room. And Katie says, "Does anybody know Purple Rain?" And Wendy kind of rolled her eyes and started playing the intro just on her little guitar. And, right. and then she turned to us and she says, "Do you guys know it?" I went, yeah. She says why don't we do an encore and I'll sing it and Wendy will play. Whoa. And said, okay. And oh hold and Right. And you don't know the sound of God until you're listening to her sing Purple Rain. Holy shit. Yeah. It, yeah. I, and at one point I was standing on the side of the stage playing and she walks over to me and like croons, like towards me and then like slinks away like she does. <laughs> so that's my Prince yeah. story without actually having a Prince story. So, (laughs) so, so, okay. So the reason I like asking this question is it always provides a through line, especially for creatives to where they are now. So Prince opened you up in terms of the musicality and in terms of, I would assume the passion, correct?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: You want to talk about that a bit more? Well,
1: it's interesting because, um, I, I, you know, I, played music all the way through my childhood. I played in bands when I was in my 20s. I was a DJ for almost 10 years, um, but I would not call myself a musician. Um, but then, you know, I worked in the music industry with you and at other places for about 10 years. My day job is marketing, and I worked in marketing in the music industry. And I started to kind of understand my relationship to music and to art and to, uh, a lot of the, you know, those kind of like classic outward manifestations of, of creativity as, um, uh, an enthusiast or as an advocate. I've got a website right now that says Eric Morse is an advocate. Um, because I, because that's what I've been trying to identify as the, is the through line. Um, and uh, I came to realize that all of my roles as, an, as a grown-up, um, whether I was a writer or whether I was in marketing or whether I was actually creating things um, musically and otherwise, was really just to kind of amplify the stuff that I saw out there that turned me on um, and kind of with this with this sort of ethos of like, how come everybody doesn't love this as much as I do? (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. Uh, You know, in the nineties, I lived in Olympia, which was sort of a punk town at the time. And, um, it was very much a punk town at the time. Um, and I really kind of like just was enthralled with all of the, all of the groundbreaking music that was happening. Um, that was at the very beginning of the riot girl movement and a lot of other, sort of punk movements and um you know like i was a tall straight white dude from the midwest <laughs> i wasn't i didn't necessarily have a, a place uh, in in creating the music but um i got to you know help out by designing record labels and by um going on tour and and so i became really oddly fulfilled by my role as a cheerleader um yeah. And and yeah, I'm pretty happy with that role to be honest.
0: It's a great role, you know, like and you know this. I'm starting to uh starting to do some therapy as a young, you know, training therapist. Yeah. And I always tell my clients that, you know, a lot of times I'm gonna be your Burgess Meredith to your Rocky. Nice. Right? Like I'm gonna be I'm your right. corner man. I'm gonna spray water on you and get out there and rock and yeah. Yeah. And it's that cheerleader idea of having pom-poms or whatever that looks like. You know, I love that aspect of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I don't know if your work has been, frankly, I don't even know if this is legit or if it's just like pop psychology, but the whole Enneagram thing, um, I did my Enneagram recently and it turned, you know, I got the results back and they are like, your type is enthusiast. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what I am. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm all about like, you know, finding and championing other people who are doing cool shit, and sure. and it feels like like my creativity along the way, either again, either my writing or my design or whatever I've been working on, um, has felt creative in this almost like, um, uh, I don't want to say osmosis, but like like. Uh, it's sort of a symbiotic kind of relationship um, where I've been able to be creative in the service of other creatives, um, yeah. which is, again, like a really satisfying
0: role. Sure. and You know, that was my role essentially at Warner Brothers. I was, yeah, you know, it's service work. That's kind of how I looked at it. I mean, yeah. I didn't want to do service for, you know, Trapped or any of those shitty bands, but I did. Um, a <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> little editorializing there. Um, but
1: (laughs) that was stuff that we, we weren't allowed to say when we were on the clock.
0: No, I can say that actually I did quite frankly, (laughs) but regardless, (laughs) the thing I like about these, about doing these interviews is that they're mostly polymaths like yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. And because there's this thing about creativity that it doesn't necessarily have to be confined. In fact, it rarely is confined to one lane, right?
1: That's a great point. Yeah.
0: Because you have to get it out. You know, there's that feeling of creativity. And with the artists that I've interviewed, you know, uh, various kinds, obviously, but they all have the same thing, which is essentially, I just have to get it out. I have to. And there's that that drive almost as a survivalist technique.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I get that.
0: And and that's something I see in you. So, um, you know, you've done, you know, Trampoline House, which I want to get into in a second. Um, you've done your podcast, I know, with Carrie Murphy, actually, uh, uh-huh. Animal Crackers oh, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then, Um Fun fact I don't listen to podcasts. I haven't listened to one. Sorry. Really? Nope. You sure are good at it. It's all on the fly. <laughs> um, well, I look at it like a radio show, like, like the late night radio shows on AM Dial, like uh-huh. Art Bell and these weird voices in the night coming in the desert. <laughs> yeah. You know, like theater of the mind. That's kind of what I'm yeah. trying to do, I guess. It's very much Making this shit up as we go along since 1969. Um, <laughs> so I really want to t- – so first of all, tell me about Trampoline House because that was pretty early on when it comes to that stuff, no? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um- it's actually a really. It's actually a perfect example of what I was saying before. So, I was living in Olympia, Washington. I was working at this bar, um, and my coworkers were, among other people, Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill, a couple members of Unwound, and like oh. the Kill Rock Stars movement. Um, and I was just kind of like surrounded by these people making really cool shit, and I was like, I. You know, like, again, kind of, where do I fit in here? What can I, um, what can I contribute? And what I really, I had this fantasy of creating like an actual beautiful, glossy, hard copy, hard copy magazine that just, um, exposed the world to this cool art that I saw going on and music that I was listening to and writers who I knew, um, and it was just sort of a pipe dream for a long time until I moved from Olympia to Seattle, which felt like the big city at the time, <laughs> um, and that was right at sort of the beginning of the dot com boom. And um, I got a job at a dot com, and then the, jo- the dot com bust happened, and so they shut down our whole department. I got laid off, and that was that moment where I was like, had nothing but time, and I was like, you know, maybe I'll pursue this this magazine idea. Um, but of course I didn't have the resources to create a magazine. All I could really do was build a website. So, um, so I built this website (laughs) and, uh, it was called trampoline house because the house I grew up in had a trampoline in the background, in the backyard and all the neighborhood kids would come and, and, um, like congregate on the trampoline. And it was a place where, you know, like, Cool stuff happened, and Mm -hmm. uh, and people would share their ideas, and we would just sort of like hang out late into the night, staring at the stars and talking. And um, so, Trampoline House was art, music, and literature. And I built the website. I wrote all the con at the beginning. I wrote all the content until I was able to bring people on, and um, it was just like this amazing sort of reverie of like diving into everything that I thought was cool and sort of making connections from there, like, you know, I'd interview, a band. And I would say, um, your album cover art is really cool. Can you tell me who designed it? And then they would make that connection. And it would just like, you know, it kind of like go deeper and deeper down, a pre YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> um, and then I got to write about it all and put it up on this website. Um, and, uh, it was really just like, One of those things where, you know, people say, what would you do if you, if money was no object and money was an object, but what would you do if you could do anything? And that was what I wanted to be doing. Um, and in, so that was what? Oh, two, Oh three in 2000 at the beginning of Oh four, March of Oh four, um, trampoline house was named best new online magazine by South by Southwest. Whoa. Um, and so I went, you know, I flew to Austin and like collected an award and I was like, this is my moment. I'm making it big and I moved to New York City and I was like, you know, <laughs> New York City, here I come. Um, like the, the, the line in uh, Stevie Wonder's song where the guy gets off the bus and he says, skyscrapers and everything. I always, like, laugh, laugh. Um, and making it big did not happen, but um, it, was, it was like – that entire experience was driven by just like being fortunate enough to, to be kind of immersed in these, um, this community where other people were doing cool stuff. And I was just like, somebody has to be talking about this.
0: My God. So you, I know you wrote two amazing children's books. What is punk and what is hip hop? And I know (laughs) that they were also beautifully designed and created uh, visually, at least uh, in claymation form. Yeah, and I want to know why and what did you get out of that? Um,
1: uh, oh man, what I got out of it—that's a long. There's a long list. Uh, it why again was just I. I had a newborn, I think a six-month-old, and um, you know he was reading all these dumb books. <laughs> they were they were great books, but. Um, they weren't necessarily relevant to the lifestyle I was interested in at the time. Um, And uh, again, I just like, I was a new dad and I wanted to share with my kid stuff that I loved. Um, And I had this sort of at the time also had, you know, like Avril Lavigne was big and, and there was a lot of kind of people out there who mainstream publications described as punk. And I was sort of like, my kid is going to grow up in a world where punk is like a plaid miniskirt at Hot Topic and <laughs> not know what punk is. And, um, and so, you know, I was driven by this really sort of paternal desire to, again, like share what I loved with my kid and also um, kind of like, mansplain it. it But so, so I wrote what is punk in like Dr. Seussian rhyming couplets. Um, and it was, it's a, it's a history of the beginnings of the punk rock movement. It goes, you know, from band to band and it touches on almost all the big ones. Um, and, uh, it was important to me that it be kind of cutesy and rhymey. So that younger kids or even toddlers could, could get it but also that it touch on the things that we as parents, you know, love so much. And, and, um, I wanted to communicate what a true revolution it was to hear these bands for the first time. Um, and how, you know, if you hadn't, the first time you hear a sex pistol song, like it'll blow your mind. (laughs) Um, and that's not so much the case anymore because sex pistols are, you know, embedded in, everything that you know kids hear and and see um but it was also important you know the visual piece of picture books is obviously super important you might say the most important part Um, and i wanted to communicate the um like the genuine authentic energy of it all and so I was just again. I went back to my trampoline house, like days of just diving into artists and illustrators around the country who were who were doing work that I thought would be accessible to kids, but also uh, authentic. And I stumbled on this blog that was called "Hey Ho, Let's Dough," and it was. It was this random girl in LA who was recreating um, photos of the Ramones in Play-Doh.
0: Wow! And I was
1: like, "Oh my god!" Like the you know the clouds parted, <laughs> angels sang, and yeah. it was it was so amazing. So um, her name is Annie Yee. She lives in LA. She's amazing. She's an artist and a photographer, and she was just like doing this. You know, it was. That was the days, that was the the life stage of the internet where people were just like being weird and cool because they wanted, like because they loved it. And they would put stuff up on the internet and just like you would find it and make these connections. And so she's been uh, an amazing collaborator. And her work, like you said, her work is just amazing. mind Yeah. Mind blowing. And we did what is punk together. And then we did what is hip hop and, um, what is hip hop? Like, you know, to be honest, when I was 12, 13, 14, I was more into and influenced by hip hop than, than punk. And so I knew pretty early on that I wanted to also tell the story of hip hop. And I started just imagining what, you know, Biggie Smalls would look like in clay (laughs) and, (laughs) Um, you know, like all of these, all of these, um, you know, classic pioneers, just like starting to see them through Annie's eyes was a really great, fun experience. Um, and out of curiosity,
0: work, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you for one heartbeat. Out of curiosity, please. did you throw Chuck T and public enemy in there? Oh yeah. Huh? Oh yeah. But, but it, I, and I bring this up for one specific reason. I saw yeah. literally the greatest show I think I've ever seen was uh, Public Enemy in Santa Barbara at like some maybe 500 seat – well, seat, maybe a 300 capacity room. And th- oh this God. is on the Fear of the Black, Black Planet tour, so they were already pretty big to begin with. And the cool uh-huh. thing about I – lived, I lived in Santa Barbara going to school there, and the cool thing was big bands would go from San Francisco to play like you know 2,000 places and just to get a date in down to L.A., They'd play at this tiny little place. I saw Pantera. Oh, I saw like, so many bands, But Public Enemy specifically, 300 kids just bouncing around. But the best thing about it was it was such an old club that the, wood, uh, the stage was wooden. So every time okay. this SW1s would, like, step, the oh records my God. would skip. Records uh. would skip. Oh so Chuck actually made the S1Ws leave just to get the sound right.
1: <laughs> That's
0: amazing. Oh, and one oh, last man. thing, by the way, just one last thing, because I know you know this. You know that song. Right. By the time I get to Arizona,
1: uh huh, sure.
0: Yeah, it's all about you know Arizona's racial laws and all that. Yeah. Chuck D was so funny. He goes, "Yo, how many of y'all are here from Los Angeles? Yay! How many of y'all are here from Santa Barbara? Yay! How many of y'all are here from Arizona? Get <laughs> <was dead> quiet." <laughs> anyway, that's my Chuck D
1: story. That's a good story. <laughs> I had a um when I worked at the .com which is where I met Carrie Murphy um who we have we know in common um yeah. yep. uh, I worked in the in the music section of of this um this app this streaming app and um when I was actually it might have been when I so I went to see um Public Enemy in I think 1988 Wow. Uh, they're on the run. Was, this was the Run's House tour with Run DMC, Public Enemy, DJ Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince, and JJ Fad. Whoa! And for, for some reason, the merch booth was also was selling just like all of these hip hop posters, and I ended up buying an LL Cool J poster. Huh. Um, and it's this poster where he's like grabbing his crotch, yep. and it's like it's amazing. You know, it's from. The early eighties, and he's like this big buff dude with with no shirt on, grabbing his crotch. Mm-hmm. And um, I had that poster framed in my office at the dot com in two thousand one. And Chuck D came, and he was doing a like an office tour and a little sort of like psych up speech to the music department. Yeah. And he walked by, and he saw my old <laughs> Cool J poster, and he stepped in. And he, he looked at me, looked at the poster, and said, "Uh huh," and he walked right out. <laughs>
0: completely off topic, but this also reminds me of, and I'll just keep moving on here after this, but um, my favorite uh, Rico Kasich story, I have one Rico Kasich story from the cars. And that is very simply, I was living in Nashville at the time. This is five years ago, maybe. And I'm I'm walking down Broadway Avenue, which is now turned into basically New Orleans. It's, it's, it's a a train. They've locked off the streets, you know, everyone's drinking and there's tons of shitty bars now, but it was boiling hot that day, summertime. I'm walking down the street, and it's crowded, and everyone's walking around. Suddenly, about 50 feet in front of me, I see Rico Kasich walking towards me in a giant, you know, black suit, ascot, you know, glasses. <laughs> the Rico, you know, the Rico Kasich thing. It's so out of place that I – he's walking right by me, and all I could do was go, you're Rico Kasich. And he went, <laughs> yep, and he kept on walking. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. That's um, so, so I do want to kind of just ask you, uh, you know, some more stuff, obviously sure. one thing that I really, really loved. And this, I highlighted this because you had mentioned uh, in some bio somewhere when I love something, I advocate for it. That's a hmm. big statement. What does that mean to you? The the word I can, the word that's coming to mind. And I think
1: it's a fair word, although it's, I don't know, um, was like kind of some self discovery work. Um, because I was trying to figure out how I had all these passions. So I've, you know, I've done this writing. I've written the children's books. I've done writing about music and about other things. Um, my day job, as I mentioned, has been in marketing, and I worked in the music industry, but then I worked in other industries as well, yep. including just at ad agencies. And then um, kind of the third piece of it was um, political advocacy and activism. Um, And I was trying to find a way to make it all make sense, to be totally honest, and and like, like, draw, as you said, draw a through line. Um, Because, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of make each of those a more sort of official part of what I was doing. And not just like, I'm a guy with a job in marketing who also writes stuff and then gets fired up and gets, you know, political. I wanted to, to much more like use my marketing expertise and my writing in the service of politics or in the service of, you know, other things that I saw going on. And I was like, what pulled, what, what ties all these together? And that was the, the thing that I kind of landed on was again, this idea of just like, I think what I do best is find and you know be an advocate for or be a cheerleader for um, this stuff that I either find inspiring or find important. Um, so uh, yeah, I I feel like that is kind of at the core of of what drives my creativity and kind of where I wanna where I wanna be.
0: And and that's a lovely thing about service work. Um you, you know you know my my story a little bit and the way I got yeah. out and the way I continue to get out of all that nonsense is through service work and there's this great quote from Gandhi that is now my my north star for the rest of my life and that is very simply in order to find yourself you must first lose yourself in others. Mm. And yeah that is because the thing about the thing I love about service work is it requires humility. You have to be you inherently yeah must be humble and you have to be an eternal student as well because you learn from service work clearly.
1: Right. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. And just like I've spent a lot of time, um, either freelancing or trying to be an entrepreneur or just like hustling. <laughs> and, um, uh, I've, I've been kind of close or had, opportunities that have presented themselves where I've kind of like wanted to, for lack of a better way to put it, make shit happen. And, um, the only time that anything ever has happened is when I've just been really genuinely and really like humbly following the like the spark or the, or the idea or whatever. And it's not like, you know, scheming and calculating and uh, thinking three steps ahead and figuring out how to position myself in order to, you know, achieve this thing or or get this like um, accolade or whatever. It's much more just like you're saying when I lose myself in something and I see it in Everybody, um, when you lose yourself in something and just follow it for the love, Uh like that's when things happen.
0: There's a, there's a phrase that I, I kind of, I guess, gend up, but it (laughs) is that when you're walking in faith, when you're walking in the light, when you're doing the right thing, like Spike Lee said, there are no wrong choices, zero, Mm. zero, because you're doing your best. Yeah. And that's such a powerful thing for me to know myself because, you know, we all get tripped up and am I doing the right thing? And am I doing the wrong thing? And as long as you can stay out of the results, which is the key to life, if you ask me, and having not having any attachments to the outcome, then you're fine. Yeah. That's it, a good point. so critical for me to, to – and I, I know you would know that. Uh, a couple more things to hit. First of all, I'm going to alienate probably all of the audience here, but uh, Eric and I are going to discuss this real quickly. I will never forget, and I think it was the very first time that I met you in Brian Popowitz's office. I think it was where <laughs> I had a Fugazi shirt on. Yeah, and you called it out, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?"
1: <laughs> I knew that. Yeah, I was like, I was like, my people. I found my people.
0: <laughs> Honestly, that's why I like wearing um, weird t-shirts. Like, I have one for Sparks or. Um, oh, nice. yeah, or I have one for Leibach. Like, who does that? <laughs> but, I, you know, I was wearing my Leibach shirt one time. People don't know who the hell it is, but sometimes some guys are like, Leibach, who are you? And, you know, <laughs> some weird <Yeah>. Hungarian band for <laughs> the 80s, but that's amazing. Um, so, uh, as always, uh, you may know the following question coming up at the end here. You may or may not. And that okay. is the same question I asked it. every goddamn person on the show at the end, which is simply as a creative, when do you know that you're done?
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot you asked this. Um, uh, I've heard it said um, in uh, in writing circles, you know, when you're you know, you're done when there's nothing left to cut. Um huh. Uh, and and I appreciate that because it gets to you know brevity is the soul of right. eh, creativity is that what it is wit um, yeah. wit thanks something I apparently am uh, short on <laughs> um, but but like oh man brevity is not my strong suit um, how do I know when I'm done I so going back to what you were just saying which really resonated with me about like Getting out of the results, doing what you're doing because you love doing it, and uh, being your own—well, uh, I'm my own worst critic, but also being your own audience. Yeah. Um, the things that I've created in whatever like sphere, I—God, maybe this sounds so like gross and egotistical, but like I—I'm proud of them. And I love to go back and revisit them and reread them or look at them or whatever. Yeah. So um, when I just like, you just know, you know that it's good, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you like trim all the fat uh, and you ask yourself if each piece needs to be there and why it's there. Um, and uh, if it's satisfying me, then um, you're good to go. Then I, it yeah,
0: well, uh, and on that note, we're gonna we're gonna chop this up a little early because Eric Morse was late, ladies and gentlemen. Late,
1: yeah, Eric Morse is always late.
0: Eric Man, Morse, is I late. am
1: thank you so much for having me on. This is really an honor.
0: Like I said, buddy, this is the only way I can get you on the phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we're gonna close out the show the way I always like to close it out, which is I'm gonna pretend to say goodbye, you're gonna pretend to say goodbye, a lot of acting involved, and then we're gonna. "Quote unquote, hang up, and then you and I are going to chat for a bit before uh, this show's over. Deal? Cool. Yeah. Here we go. I just got behind the curtain. Here we go. We're going to do a little slate, and then we're going to count us in three, two, and then here we go. Eric Morris, thank you so much for joining me on the Inspired Minds podcast. God, I love you. <laughs> oh, I love you too, man. Thank you. thank you so much. What a good human being you are. Your turn. But, oh man, wait. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. I am so just honored to be on here. And I've just had such an amazing experience watching your transformation. Um, you're a hell of a human being and I'm lucky to know you.
0: Oh, buddy. Fugazi for <laughs> life. All right. I'm going to pretend to hang up. Ready? This is very right. dramatic. Click.